There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa, she's ready to go to the stars. This is the 300th episode of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host... This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Paul. And this is Tohoka. Welcome to the TrogTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of having an amazing time playing games, and all of a sudden you realize it's the 300th episode! 300! Unbelievable! I intend to be here for the 500th podcast. <laughs> and if you think of TriTac, think of it like the lifespan or shelf life of a Twinkie. <laughs> or, or a cockroach. But I was thinking, I was thinking, you know. Wait it, a minute. That cockroach bothers me. No, no. Cockroaches are awesome. I love them, man. They're like, they're like the biological tanks. They're, they're freaking awesome. I think, I think people hate on them too much. I think they're really cool. But, but I, I think it's, I think it's pretty safe to say that even if we, even if we go into a, a a stale period or a period where we're not recording active episodes, I think it's pretty fair to say that almost a hundred percent likely that uh, we'll come back on and do shows from time to time. You know, even if we stop, I could see that there's probably no way that we won't come back and do a couple episodes at a time because Rich is always coming out with stuff. So if we have something new to talk about. Then we got a new show. I mean, it just that's just inevitable. You know, if Rich comes out when Bra- when Rich comes out with Brass and Steam, if we were to stop today and not do any more episodes, well, you know, when Rich releases Brass and Steam, we'll obviously do a couple episodes on that. Yeah. So, so, yeah. E- so even if the show does stop being week to week, it may be one of those things where we don't do a show for a month, but then we might do like three or four shows because we have some new material, we have something to talk about. You know, there's there's no point in just like, oh, we have to fill a show. Let's just talk about nothing. Uh, there's no point in that. Yeah, and we never have done that, except maybe this one right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a and 300 also, episode. We're, I'm we're joking. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah. on. <laughs> and also, there's a good chance we also might end up doing, you know, I, I, hey, hey, I, ha- I have uh, about s- 60 hours worth of playtest. For the uh, for the uh, Savage Worlds of the Fringeworthy, hey, I can get off my butt and actually edit the stuff. No, I'm not going to say it's going to be any good, but hey, you know that's, that may, that may happen. John, if you could just get out the next edition of Fringeworthy Savage Worlds, I would be really happy. I'm working on it. I would not take my time away from it. I just don't want you to do other things instead of it either. I also think if you if you can't edit Bruce, uh, well, what happens is that we'll you, we'll still have episodes, of, but they will be what do they call it lightly edited. They're already lightly edited. Yeah, yeah, we're talking like okay. Um, you mean basically not edited? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want people to understand that you know we hit three hundred. We're not going to like vanish like some other people have done when they've hit like magic numbers. Okay, but at the same time, there may be a differences in our schedule, you know, and we may be going in different directions than you expected. Because, I mean, up till now, we haven't really talked about the fact of, of uh, me doing this project and some of the other projects the rest of us are on. So just wanted everyone to know that there's, you know, as, as we said at one point, we went from 
just fringe worthy to um, the TriTech Games podcast. You know, this one is going to go out. Now, what we are not going to do is we're not going to be one of those, hey, you know, this is the latest and greatest thing that just came out over there at uh, RPG Now, you know, Drive Through RPG. I, re- I looked at that and that was tremendous and I want you all to go buy it because I like it. Okay, that's that's not going to happen. However, with that same idea, I'd like us to talk about inspiration. I'd like to have, uh, because Richard suggested this, a a segment where we talk about movies or books that we've been seeing lately that inspires our gameplay. So, does anybody have an idea or should I start first? Go ahead, Bruce. Start. I went to Gen Con uh, and did a lot of demoing there. And uh, everyone loves our games when we go to, to conventions and run them, by the way. So, you know, I... These are most of these people have never heard of TriTech games before, and they get in their games and they really have a good time. So, uh, if you guys are out there and are reading our material but never playing it, we I really suggest that you actually play it because for two reasons. One is that we're always willing to run a Skype demo of our games for anybody who asks. So, if you want, you know, if you want to get a couple of friends together or just yourself and say, "Hey, I'd like to try this game out." You know how can I how can that happen? Well, send us an email. We'll set it up. But um, but one of the things I won while I was there was a newly minted cop uh, new uh, new put together edition of AD and D Second Edition. Playing a game and they gave it to me and I said, you know, it's kind of funny that you know I had such a great time playing this game, and I spent twenty years playing. A D and D, you know, with a, 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 in a campaign, and then until finally we went to 3.0, and really that was a, the big change. And I was like, what is it about, you know, A D and D Second Edition that I like so much better than, let's say, Fifth Edition, which is what I'm running right now for the, my, my gaming group because they wanted to play it. And I must say that when I look back, you know, I kind of like Second Edition more than I like uh, current Fifth Edition. And it may be some of my choices I'm making now, but I think one of the reasons was that there was less choices. I mean, they had like a ton of rules that weren't very well integrated with each other, but sometimes games get too complicated. You know, there's too many choices and, you know, there's there's actually too many rules. So uh, AD&D actually had less choices and I think that's one of the things that uh, made it better. TriTech Games, um, at one point, uh, I put together a character generator for it, and it had over 500 weapons in it. Okay, which literally was from the beginning, you know, of the being of firearms and whatever, all the way through to modern, you know, uh, uh, atomic weapons. So that's a lot of weapons in a role playing game. And the difference between most of them wasn't that much. So I would say that if you're playing a game, and you're not having that much fun with it, you might want to simplify. Because it may be that there's just too much crunch, too many choices, and you just need to make it simpler, and that would make it more fun. So that was my inspiration from what I've been reading. It's something I've been reading. Uh, it's, it's been taking a while because it's fairly thick. It's actually the um, it's a travelogue by H.W. Uh, Seward, uh, the, you know, the, the guy who bought Alaska. And his, it's, it's basically him traveling around the world, and it's, uh, it's, it really, it, I wouldn't say it would make. I want to do like a steampunk thing, but it's more like it, it's, it's giving me a lots of ideas about other cultures and how we see them. And the, the, yeah, it's very. One thing I found by reading this book was as 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 as, as great as these people were in helping you know you know you know you know save the union and free, and free the slaves, they were a bunch of racists. In any case, uh, but because looking at their points of view, but then you read their descriptions and you look at the woodcuts, and I'm going, "Wow, I mean, this place is lost. I mean, some of these places they've been to doesn't ex- they don't exist any uh, anymore. And the only only thing that exists in there are a few photographs and a lot of woodcuts. And I'm thinking, you know, this would make actually an interesting alternate world for someone to visit. You know, you, you visiting this time period in this area because it would be like in another another world. Uh, literally, I, I mean, it, I can play off that, John, because yeah. right now, right now, myself and my co-host Jennifer Matthews walks with silent feet. 
We are currently designing a game setting. Now, she's a quarter Ojibwe, which mm-hmm. are one of the local Indian tribes here in the southeast Michigan area. Oh. It's, the setting is called Mijaka, which was, it, I think it's giant turtle or snapping turtle is what it translates out to. But mm-hmm. basically, we've had to do research on the various, what is it, the Council of Three Fires, which is the Potawatomi, the Ojibwe, and the Ottawa. But the kick is, it's the Detroit area, 1710. So Fort Pontchartrain was just created. Cadillac has since left to head back to France. The elves are taking the place of the Indians. So we have three different elven tribes. We have the other fantasy races positioned all around the, the continent and the world. And you're dealing with... There's going to be magic and all this, but I've had to do a lot of research, and and Jennifer has because she's been researching her heritage. But, I mean, I've had to research into the history of Detroit back then. Uh, Jennifer's doing things like researching the people who lived here. We're talking the tax records for the merchants and the blacksmiths and the gunsmith, and there was Mm -hmm. a—and just— HistoryDetroit.com is a fantastic site because they get, they have the records of all these people, Cadillac and his wife and uh, Father Des Halls, who was the first priest for St. Anne's Church here in the original Fort Pontchartrain. So that was something that I've been reading and just has really done a lot to give me ideas. So yeah, it's to play off on what you were just talking about. It's going to be an interesting mm. game world because after it's going to yeah. be my next Friday campaign. Yeah, I mean, yeah, where where I'm at right now in the now in the in the, this book uh, is uh, he's right now in Java and he's you know and at the time is actually run by the Dutch, and I'm reading some of the stuff there going like how the Dutch civilized the place. I'm going, these people were civilized before you got there, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I love that point of view. Yeah, in mine, in my research, they've just recently said, because I had to look up Wikipedia for Cadillac, and only in the past half century did they say, no, this guy wasn't as great as he was, and I'm using the quote, one of the great scoundrels of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, he was sitting there, one of his main things, he was trading booze to the Native Americans in the area. He was almost infamous for that. So yeah, you when when you do historical research, you have to take into context how they were back then. When they dealt with non-white cultures, for lack of a better term, it, it was the the whole Rudyard Kipling white man's burden thing. Oh, we're here to civilize you. No, they were doing pretty well before that addition got thrown into the mix. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the stuff we would read about then today, you know, we would be sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, they were racist and sexist." That's kind of how they were back then. You're reading in my research. I'm coming across that. So we're we're talking about inspiration here, right? Like what yes. what inspires our our gaming and our creativity and such, right? Just something that came along recently. Just something that's that's been clicking for you. One of the things that my my gaming group has has really been getting into, and and something that has, I, I don't know, it's it's, it's it's not just recent. It is recent. It's part of our recent development, but it's it's also uh, has been. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. We are diving so deep into character motivations and um, and, and I mean, what drives our characters and how our characters act and and we have gotten so far away from from the min maxing or the rules or, or you know what have you of of how characters behave and and what you do with them and what they what they're capable of um we're we've just been diving so deep in the psychology of, of character like playing characters and character generation uh it has been really really cool because there's been so many times where um it pretty much rules our game now where our characters will do things and it's like, well, you know, you don't have to do that. It's like, no, nah, this is what my character would do. And it's like, yeah, but you know, you don't have the, you don't have that flaw or that benefit or whatever. You're not getting anything out of this. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really getting into the, the personality of our characters. And it's been, it's been very, very interesting. It's very, um, it's kind of like really high level gaming, you know, real, real strong metagaming, which has been, been really fantastic. 
speaking of that, because this is another thing, because over in the Sunny Skypers, we're we're getting to the point now in our in our burning wheel game where we're going getting to a point where we're going to call a break, and and, and the dwarves will be going on a hiatus for a little while, and we're thinking of doing some filler, so I'm going to be doing some some superhero, but we're also been talking about a science fiction game, but we decided we're not. We don't like anything out there, literally. I mean, you know, and and yes, we mentioned everything. I mean, literally everything. And we decided we're going to just build our own. So we're hmm. putting together what we want, you know. And we also, first thing, we, of course, we had to nail down is how hard do we want it and how soft do we want it in terms of science. And we're right. we're in the Firefly area, so soft, but not that soft, <laughs> you know. Uh, Firefly still has our has grab plates and stuff like that. you know grab plates that start with gravity stops at the hull, which is impossible. But that's you know you know we're we're, we're looking for something like not quite space opera, but not quite more like space cowboys, you know, so to speak. But we're going over all these backgrounds and some of the things we come up with, like Oasis. Maybe we 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 can do space troopers, not not T O O P R E. P E R S. There we go. It's spelled right. Uh, but space troopers as T as T R O U P E R as an an acting company, right? <laughs> traveling the world, traveling the worlds, looking for looking for the next gig. Well, you know, just yeah. just to give you just to give you a little bit of an example. I mean, like like just like because it sounds John, it sounds like you guys are are thinking very seriously about your gaming. Like it's like you're you're going for a very specific feel. And that kind of relates to what we're doing. You know, we're just like, well, what does that mean? What is the bigger, you know, what's the bigger connotations to our gaming group? It's not just, you know, let's get a set of rules and just play this game and run the modules. You know, it's it's really you're thinking about it, um, and it, and it's it's just it's interesting to where the depths that you'll go with something like that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's it, I don't know if it's an evolved gamer thing. I don't you know I don't want to sound too. Presumptuous. I don't want to sound like, oh yes, we are evolved gamers. And oh yes, 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 You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not trying to sound like that. I'm just. I'm just saying that. You know, when you've when you've played role playing games for and so 1980, so 90, uh, 2000, 2010. So what? Uh, I'm going on 35 years yeah, of gaming. It, it, yeah. 77 for me, so I add, add three more years of that for me. So you, you do – I mean come on. You do pick up some stuff. You do, you're going to pick up some skills yeah. and, and some you – know, and you're going to get tired of, of standard tropes and stuff. So yeah, that's – I mean it's just, it's just interesting where, where people go with their games and, and what they'll oh, – yeah. you know, what they evolve to. We're not the Forge. Now, this is going to be a reference that Bruce is going to ask me about. The Forge is a gaming discussion group where we talk about not just game, but they would get into game theory. <laughs> And they would get into so deep, you know. You can see you can see the leather patches on their on their on their coats, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that de- you know that deep and that and and it was. And I looked and said, "But you're, how about having fun?" And they go, "Oh no no no, we got to work out how the, how how, the, how everything works together properly and interfaces correctly." And like, uh, yeah, I'm not talking about that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> because no, we no. Uh, when we get down to it, it's it's really honestly the reason why we're doing it is because it's more fun. You know that's that, that's the whole point is to have have a good time. It's a game. I hear that. Okay, so speaking of having fun and having a good game, let's actually move on to the topic. Yay! Right. We have a topic. We have a topic. Well, because we were talking about things all having to do with history of things, TriTac and this podcast and everything else. I said, let's do time travel adventures in Bureau 13. And that is what this topic is about. And I think you said it was, but it's not about your character time traveling, but it's actually your team dealing with time travelers. It's the idea that there's a scenario. This is a scenario, an adventure that has to do with time travel. So usually in those kinds of scenarios, the team has to deal with another time traveler, not themselves. Now, there may come a point in the adventure where they themselves also are time traveling, but it's not like, you know, this is you know, a, a game where you do a lot of time traveling. So, uh, and we did do an, an episode earlier, episode number 28, on f- doing time traveling in Fringeworthy, where, which was kind of like you are, as the explorers, going to do some kind of time traveling. 
and we covered that in great detail. We highly recommend that you go and check that out. But this is about Bureau 13. And for those of you who are not familiar, Bureau 13 is a game about, uh, it's set in the near future, where secret agents working for an organization called Bureau 13 uh, police uh, the supernatural and weird science and high-tech stuff, future and past, uh, primarily from you know incursions of various kinds into our, the United States where they try to do where they do things that are harmful to people of the United States or the United States as an entity and therefore you're there to stop them or at least you know make sure that they don't do too much harm because it can, sometimes you have to give them a little bit of slack because sometimes they're doing something that's important and you, you know you got to work with it but anyways uh, so we're talking about how an agent or a team of agents would detect and deal with time travelers who are, we were assume, causing some difficulty. If nothing else, just proving that the, in a sense, that the supernatural weird science exists, which is kind of what Bureau 13 tries to do is suppress knowledge of it, because most people can't handle knowing that some things are really real. Yeah. Now, do we want to talk about the blue box in the room? We're going to get to that at some point, okay? The first thing we want to talk about, I believe, is if a time change has occurred, okay? How does Bureau 13, how are they set up to detect a, any kind of, a, of an alteration that's happened due, due to time travel? How does it happen? How do they do it? Okay, um, and I'll start off by saying that um, uh, some uh, one of the things that they can do is that they could send documents, uh, histories, in detail, excruciating detail, far back into the past, beyond any point of, of, of time departure, of alternate history departure, and then keep sending them back, uh, uh, keep them updated, but then also bring them back to the future so that we can compare what our reference is to our modern you know, our, our modern situation. Now, how that happens, we're not going to get, uh, probably not going to get to right now, but that is one way. Basically, we create an archive that's somehow separated in time, but yet they're still communicating it back to us, so we have something to compare to what's going on and saying, where is it changed? Is something different? Is, you know, because if time changes, you may not notice that it's changed because to you it's like it's always been because the point of departure was before you were even born. And Bruce, I've got two more on this too yeah. for you. Uh, the psychics who can actually see something coming and also from uh, Bureau 13 uh, Extreme, we have a couple, two, three pages on the Time Corps. These are people who, when time changes happen, they wash over and around them, and they leave them to figure out what's going on. And they need to use, they need time travel to correct the problems. So you're saying there's a, a special squad inside of Bureau 13. A very special squad. That are immune to time change. Or, or they're not, are they, are they detached from time per se? They are, once you travel in time, you don't. You basically the next time change will wash around you. Yeah, I mean it's sort of like it sounds a bit like um, you're dealing with uh, uh, supernatural, uh, not supernatural, divine beings who are you know technically not part of this universe, but are outside nope. of it and they can look down and go, ooh, it's that a, changed. It's, a, it's technological. <laughs> John, it could be just somebody who due to time travel themselves or they may be from an aborted timeline they just have what would be well let's see there's a feat in temporality by dark quest games temporal acuity which means they know when a change has occurred in the timeline good word uh, anyone who's in training at the time you know during during the two times a year we, the bureau does training and if it happens to happen during that time period they're not actually technically part of the timeline at that point and when they come out Things are different. Because sending something back into time assumes that you have the means of sending something back into time. Maybe Bureau 13 doesn't have that capability. Uh, Richard says that there is something they can do that, that they have some time travelers. Built-in machinery, biological. Okay. 
but it's possible to have a time-proof vault. And one of them was, po- uh, and one type of time-proof vault would be a pocket dimension, like you know, uh, our, our training base. Because if it's if it's not actually part of our universe, then the time changes that occur won't be reflected inside of that. Not well, not necessarily. And you know, maybe people who are inside they might not have their memory altered. The problem with saying stuff back in time is that if the depending on how the time change happens, it will also change what went back in time. Well, that's why I said you have to send it back. You have to send it back far enough that there's no point of departure. No, it comes back and picks it picks up when you send it. That's when it changes, not when it gets hit back there. Because what you send back there is going to be unfortunately talking about time travel is like talking about spaghetti and worms. It's kind of hard to keep them keep them separate. No, it's not, John. You just have to stop messing around with your own head and keep it simple. <laughs> okay. And with spaghetti and worms, you just need hot sauce. <laughs> yes, that's right. Gah. That's something you can eat. You, uh, Notice I said you can eat. the um. Moral, you nuts, is the change in time, or the change in advance of the time. For you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing, or has something been improved without being detrimental to something else? I, I don't understand, Paul. Are you saying that uh, some time changes are good and some time changes are bad? Yeah, depending on who's affected and how it's affected. If somebody's gone back in time and save someone's life so they can go on to do other things, maybe it's possible Maybe possible. it was a good event. But then again, you might save somebody who goes on to do really terrible and evil things, and it wasn't a beneficial change. And something that might be a good change in the small, when you see the ripples occur, you know, that, you know, it's the, it's the butterfly flapping, and all of a sudden something happens that was important but and it never happened because of that one tiny change. So that's always something you have to worry about with that. But again, going back to time-proof vaults, uh, has anybody ever heard of Dream Time? You mean the Abor- the Australian Aboriginal uh, altered state? Yes. Well, they they believe it's actually a place. Yeah. And therefore, there might you know it might be possible to to store information in that place if it actually is real. Uh, at least, you know, because the because in Bureau 13, we talk about old stories being true, so they believe that it's a real place, so they should be able to put stuff there for safekeeping. And actually, I'm thinking of one other place that's actually perfectly safe and we have access to it, the Fringe. Exactly. Anyone who's stationed on the platform comes on through, the first thing they do is, okay, uh, let me look at the history. Okay, so Nixon shouldn't have won in 1960. I think that's a bad thing that's happened. <laughs> well, see, I don't think it's necessary for us to go and, and, and do that. I think that just by bringing it back in some kind of a uh, machine-readable format and let the machines do the figuring out where the, the diversion might have occurred. Doing it like once a week or even once a day, depending upon how often somebody would bring it from off-site back on-site. Yeah, just, just think yeah. about the power of the Internet. So if you, you could have, a, you yeah. could have a, a history-scrubbing program so that as long as that world is a world that's on the Internet and has, you know, like... The, Something similar to what we have today, you know. This pro- you could run this program every week and be like, "Oh, uh oh, <laughs> this data is not conforming with the other data," you know, because it would yeah. it would go hit specific sites or maybe it would look for keywords and it would be like, uh, "Yeah, my database is not finding President Nixon. We need to dig. We need to start digging. What happened?" Or or worse yet, you step on through uh, the portal and they go, "Who are you?" Yeah. If you ran that software and it scoured and found a change, has it happened just in time? It may have happened in the past. Right, because it would be comparing off-world data because you would, you would scan it and then save that data off-world. Off and then you would come back and run that program again, and then you would compare that, the new data with the old data, and, and that way it's not, you know, it's not corruptible. Yeah, most of the thing because... Uh, there's of course the infamous butterflies. The further back it goes, the more changes will happen. Right. Uh, so if some, someone saves, if someone kills Hitler, uh, there's a good chance, yeah, you weren't even born. 
at this point. So, and if you remember, that was a wonderful (laughs) champions module that uh, Mm -hmm. you, you, as a group of uh, a group of superpowered Holocaust survivors, had to go back. It went back and killed Hitler in the beer hall. And as a group of heroes, you had to go back and correct history. And it was a tearjerker, and it was absolutely wonderful. And they most of them champions? ended up in a landfill in Champions, and most of them landed up in a landfill in New Jersey. Huh. I played Champions. I never recalled that module. No, yeah. you won't. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was uh, I forget the name, but it was uh, it was created by Bob Bell, and it was fantastic. It just it was the wrench, the gut wrenching of knowing you had to stop this from happening to preserve our time. Because time was beginning to unravel up in Ugh. the future. Yeah. Or or you can have situations where something simple like, you know, uh, someone gives uh, – gives uh, based on – oh, I've got the producer's name. Did, who, who, the guy who produced um, – was it Belisarius? Who did um, – Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah. But his theory was Oswald wasn't trying to shoot President Kennedy. He was trying to shoot Jackie. Oh. That's interesting. <laughs> Mm. And there was a movie made about a guy who went back in time to correct mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, Kennedy assassination to save Jackie from the hardship. Yeah, and sacrifice so. himself. Oh, this is also a very good year for time travel movies. There, we've had five or six premiere this year that were made in the last year or two, and uh, it's like time travel movie after time travel movie, and most of these are actually pretty good. Find them on Netflix. A place where uh, it's only really you find in Bureau 13 that you can put you can put data and you can store this kind of stuff is hell. In Bureau 13, you can get a bound demon to take something into hell and keep it safe because time moves differently there and it would probably be immune to these kinds of effects. Or the Land of Fae. But trouble is, Land of Fae is connected to a bunch of other places, too. So you're not quite sure you'll get the same stuff back that you sent in. That's where the problems with Land of Fae. Yeah, like anything, uh, John, I think that you have multiple solutions. And therefore, you compare them and then you come up with, you know, sometimes you have to vote what the what reality is. I think it's safe to say that lands where higher forces reign heaven, hell, the land of fey, um, are generally going to be protected by their very deific nature or supernatural nature from the forces of temporal entropy. Mm-hmm. Just just because, like hell, yeah. I don't think the de- uh, demons and devils and all that, they don't have to worry about the ravages of time. For pretty much we know they don't age. Or their age is extremely retarded just due to their nature. So, excuse me. So, yeah, I would think that if you were to set some type of information down there, it's not going to change if the material plane timeline is altered somehow. And, of course, you can always just have a spell of protection against time change. Mm-hmm. Well, there's spells of protection for all kinds of things. Why not have one that basically keeps your memory from being altered? That's excellent, Bruce. Or a whole town. When I was going to college, I actually ended up going to uh, doing some work at Space Command. And they, uh, were, they put all their computers in Faraday cages. And the biggest computer room, which was the size of a basketball court, was the world's largest Faraday cage ever built. So I can imagine them at a Tempest Room. They're called Tempest Rooms. So I can imagine a temporal room, who who's basically is, well, when you go to this door, you're going into non-time. Or you're going into its own time. So, yeah, be prepared because it's going to be weird. You know, or, or, or go through really quick because otherwise you'll end up uh, losing a finger because you, cause the blood's flow, cause the time flows differently to your side of the door. You know. <laughs> now, according to like what you were saying, Trav, okay, there are beings that are called oracles, and their job is to speak the future. Well, I think that they would, uh, would either A, be immune to any kind of a time change effect like that, or B, because they're speaking the future, you know, they would be the ones, probably the first ones to detect it. Oh, yeah, they would pick up on it. And and I've got Bureau 13 D20 up, 
And two of the people that are, if not friends, then at least sources would be Flash Jervis and Orog Time Master. They deal with the future and how time plays out. Now, I know Flash is a friend, but how about Orog? Is he a friend, enemy, or in between? Is he a frenemy? (laughs) There's plenty of those. He would actually be a neutral. He is in the neutral list, but... Oh, now, isn't the uh, isn't I remember from the Secret Files? There's there was the what that the man in white or something like, like that from the Secret Files. Mm, Richard, not sure if I remember that. It was some demon or something like that 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 was thought <coughs> maybe to be one of the causes of what happened in '77. I can't remember his name. Oh, that might have been him. Yeah, but yeah, it, also you know, known time travelers. I mean, you know, there are people out there who basically can't help it. I mean, you know, you you go to a little a certain secret lab out in New Mexico and you run to a guy who keeps, you know, jumping from body to body. You know? <laughs> yeah, you you can have him tell you if, if things have changed. You know, he's doing his best to fix everything as he goes back and forth, you know. You know, Quantum Leap Quantum Leap was actually a bureau project for all we know. <laughs> Now, here's an idea that, uh, you know, you, you have to listen to me on this, okay? And that is, is that let's say you have precognition, which gives you the ability to see in the future, okay? We're not, uh, not necessarily like the, you know, the, the, the scary thing, but where you actually can see like a scene in the future. Let's say you can look forward a week or something, okay? And then you, uh, and then let's just say that you had, um, as part of all that, you, you took like a, a file that had like, you know, that, that detailed world history we were just talking about. And you made, you basically turned it into a checksum. And then you look into the future and you see what the checksum is a week from now. Same amount of material, so it should be the same. But if it's different, that means that sometime in the next week, time is going to change. Uh, let me let me quote a sage about that. In flux, the future is. No, no. I'm saying is, is that if you're looking at not if you look at time from this week, okay, at back, all right, and you look at a week in the future, and oh, you're looking backwards. You mean? So basically, you have you know, let's say let's say every week you do a new checksum, okay, and so you go and look at the checksum for the previous week, which is now for you. And if that checksum isn't what you have, that means that sometime in the subsequent week, something in history has changed, which is recorded, you know, which would affect that recording and that checksum to have a different one. And you're like, okay, something has happened from now back that changed that checksum. And then, of course, if it's a really elegant checksum, then you'd be able to figure out, based upon the differences, the delta, where it was that it changed. And that would be able to allow you to pinpoint where, well, at least get get a better idea of where you had to look for the change and know that it was coming. And then maybe they're all going to, at that point, you all go and run off into, uh, you know, uh, uh, run off into a pocket dimension. So you're not going to be the ones who lose their memory of what's going on and you'll be better prepared. So in other words, it gives you some running room to say, hey, it's coming. It's coming and we need to prepare for it. We need to figure out what's going to change. So when it happens, we either we can stop it, okay, if it's something that's happening, you know, uh, but more likely we can just figure out what's happened so we can then go back in time, make the change, or, and we'll get to this a little later more, sometimes you don't go back in time and change. Sometimes what you do is you make the, you make the, you change the present so that it ends up not making any difference. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cases, and you have to remember when there, there, when you change time in the past, you're not just changing it for the Earth; you're changing it for the universe, because it's all there's everything's relative, you know. So if I make a change on Earth, it it will also make a you know the universe resets, the entire universe resets or changes because of that. So a lot of that, but those changes don't propagate. So basically, the butterflies never reach us. To make a difference, so there's it's probably you know there's a lot of low level 
changes happening out there because there's an infinite number of stars, infinite number of people screaming with time. But for the most part, we never notice it <clears throat> because the butterflies never get to us. What we're saying is that the universe is a really big place and the, uh, the acts, things that occur on one small planet may not actually affect anything across the galaxy. So, therefore, it's, it, these changes, as important as they are to us, might be localized just to us. Yeah, yeah. basically, the effects that won't spread. It falls in an old saying I used to have, any difference that makes no difference makes no divergence. So, for the, you know, so in a billion years, who's going to know? No one. Right. So, yeah, so a billion years down the road, it all looks the same. And that's one reason why I believe that time travel is possible. Because, you know, it, even though it, it changes in our timeline might be catastrophic to us, it's not going to change whether the sun is going to go dark, you know, going to explode or, or turn into a brown dwarf in, uh, you know, in, in a billion years. Okay. I mean, our civilization, if it lasts, you know, uh, a thousand years longer because of certain events, but then it dies out. If it dies out, it dies out. And we don't, you know, we don't know this, the stories of, uh, of the proto-humans, their wants, their dreams, except the few little markings we found in caves. And the early Atlantean civilizations, yeah. If things change back then, they don't affect us now, and the same thing could happen to the things that we are so concerned about with time change. So it might be possible that time travel could happen, assuming, of course, that it doesn't revolve around impossible energy transfers, like going faster than the speed of light using normal acceleration. Now, we mentioned about seeing the future. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to plug something that, that will be out when this comes out, but, but it's not out right now, so I actually can't share it with my fellow, fellow podcasters. I actually, uh, for the sci-fi ideas, I wrote a little short story. Actually, it's called A Starting Point. Uh, it's just a little short story that sets up a, sets up a major story, and it's about time travel. Only it's the only in this case, the person's not going back in. Well, they're sort of kind of going back in time, but they built a time machine, and they turn it on, and they get messages from the future for themselves. In fact, it's two way conversations; they can talk to each other. Then their self in the future gets killed, and they do the thing that you shouldn't be able to do if time was deterministic: is they turn the machine off. If time travel is deterministic, you can't turn the machine off. You, you could, because you can't send messages back to before the machine's turned on, but that also means you can't turn the machine off, otherwise you would never get the message. But they can turn the machine off, which means it wasn't the future, it was a future. And now they get to make changes and, and maybe avoid that. And these people, they're harder to spot because they're not affecting us right now, they're affecting us in the future, so it depends on uh, where the present line is. So, how do we handle something like that? Where they're making changes, they're making changes to the timeline, but from our present, not from the future present. Well, we're still talking about how to detect whether or not a change in the timeline has occurred. And I think the future present would catch that. The future present would realize, hey, someone's making changes in time. Which way is it going? It's actually going from front to back instead of back to front. You know, you know, there's back to the future, uh, more type thing. So, but you, but the future f- folks would, would realize that someone's making time changes, but we can't really tell that anything's been changed because it seems all normal to us. <laughs> right. Well, if we're in the middle of it, that's one, you know, that's one reason why that would happen. So, um, so one of the things that uh, is, we'd have to ask is, is there such a thing as a chronon? Is there, in fact, a unit of time that can be detected? Okay. Uh, time travel, if there is, then there could be chronon detectors. And time travel might increase or decrease the background amount of chronons, or might cause a burst of chronons. You know, as you know, if there's different flavors of chronons, like quarks. You know, and that and that would be a way of saying, hey, there's been time travel occurred. We don't know what the effect was, but we know it happened because of the fact we have a detector that does that. Yeah, or or you can say quantum vibration that you know we, all of a sudden everything has got a faster vibration for a little bit, which means okay, that happens when when time gets reset. 
in uh, the, the the movie and the television show um, and some others, Time Cop, they had time quakes where any time that a change in the timeline occurred, it propagated forward as a detectable, you know, shake. A wave. A wave, yeah. And so, and, and if in fact is this has a kind of a science to it, but the, the, the amplitude of the wave or the time between uh, the troughs could determine when it occurred and how big a change it was. And that could, you know, and the Bureau might say, okay, this is worth fishing after, or, you know, and this, and this one here, well, you know, something happened, but it's no big deal. We're not going to worry about it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that story reminded me of, when you say time quakes, there was a, it was a reprint of an old story from the 50s, I think, about two timelines, one going one direction, one going the other direction on Earth, and they were colliding with each other. And we were seeing the effects of that. We were seeing, someone realized that the buildings are getting, the ruined buildings are getting younger instead of getting older. They were from the other timeline. The um, the movie Millennium had time quakes. It just it literally destroyed the future. They went to an alternate path, uh, an alternate future as a result of some of the things they were doing in the past, and they were okay with that. <laughs> that particular movie, Bradbury's Sound of Thunder movie. Yeah, which uh, yeah, actually, you know what? I, the, the movie, eh, not so much. The um, the actual TV show adaptation was much better, I think, of the of the story. Uh, yeah, of the Sound of Thunder. And for those of you not familiar with Sound of Thunder, people go back hunting dinosaurs. And along the way, someone steps on a butterfly. It's actually the story that spawned the idea of butterflies destroying the future. <laughs> and you read it for yourself, because we're not going to spoil any more than that. <laughs> uh, and you might also mention who the writer of that is. Ray Bradbury. Right. Ray Anyways, uh, now what we found out from Time Cop also was is that you can make a lot of money. Uh, it's really easy to make money if you're a time traveler. And therefore, it's, uh, time travelers would tend to come back to places they could make a lot of money to fund their adventures. So Bureau 13 could fact check winners of large lotteries or gambling uh, games that are based purely on luck to see, hey, is somebody like winning multiple Giant jackpots? Hmm. Wonder how they know this. Just ask Biff Tannen how that works. I, well I was going to say. Tannen. We got Back to the Future, baby. Come on. Two with the sports score catalog, and he ends up making a lot of money and diverting the timeline. Now, mm-hmm. now, 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 in reality, that sports catalog can only be good for like about three years because he's changing the timeline. Therefore, things will change. But that's plenty of time to amass a huge fortune. Oh, yeah. Buku bucks. Right. So I'm just saying is that, you know, Bureau 13 might be knocking on those people's doors saying, okay, you know, you're a really lucky guy. You want to share how you're able to pull that off? So, you know, hopefully before the mob gets there. Yeah. Now, the other way of doing it is playing the stocks. Well, I don't know. You might want, you might be getting off easier with the mob brewers, considering how the the power the bureau has. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah. It's yeah. You're also playing stocks. Stocks may be safer because then you can you can you can spread it out, especially if you can keep looking into the future and pulling back information. Now, a person that you'd go to in Bureau Thirteen as a reference for this would be John. You know, the financial wizard? Oh, the guy in Detroit. Oh, yes. He'd be the guy that would notice somebody all of a sudden really coming out of nowhere and really starting to make big scores. Uh, Someone who stereotypically is always bad with with stocks or with sports. A scientist. Stereotypically, they're always bad with this stuff because it, you know, they, 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 you know, it's, it's, a, it's a common trope. You know, engineers sees, oh, it's the stock market, yeah, it's just numbers and math. I can do it. And the next thing you go, where's my money? <laughs> Where'd my money go? Unless they actually come up with a system that works, and that does happen. Which is gaming the system because I'm a programmer. Oh, I can fix that. I can make money now. Oh yeah. All right. Well, that's all the stuff I have on actually detecting. Um, well, that's not well. There's one more thing, which is uh, I'll let you go ahead, John, because you want to say something about detecting changes in time. Oh, changes in time. Oh no, I was going to say uh, that's different from de- de- detecting time travelers themselves. Okay, 
That's that's actually a different thing. Right. When I was running Bureau 13, I made time travel particularly difficult, okay? Because, I mean, it's such a mess for the GM to do that unless they're intentionally trying to do it. So what I said was is that one of the methods of time travel was the brute force method, which was that if you could expend energy equal to equal MC squared per second per second, okay, in other words, you know, it, whatever your mass as a person times you know the speed of light in, you know, squared in joules for every second you wanted to go forward or backward in time, you could create a device that lets you do that. Well, that's really hard to get that kind of energy. And at one point, they actually had to go after some really powerful being and, uh, and literally plug a device into that person, which we refer to as plugging into the sun. One gram of matter... It has the energy equivalent of 21 kilotons. <laughs> so you just do the math, and you can figure out an average human being is in the uh, gigaton range. <laughs> and as we know from the third law of uh, aerodynamics, I'm sorry, uh, thermodynamics, nothing is 100% efficient. That's correct. So just as when we were talking about interdimensional incursions, people who time travel, unless they have really, really good tech or they have some means of shunting that waste energy into another dimension or something, they're going to produce a big display, a big emission when they show up somewhere. And it might be just pure heat Radio radio waves, whatever, you know, a burst of static electricity, you know, just like in um, the Terminator movies, all that stuff going off, okay? That might be detectable. That, you know, it might cause such an interference with surrounding electrical devices that the Bureau might be able to say, hey, some big electromagnetic event just went off. And then when they go to check it, they have things that would indicate that it was time travel. Yeah, look look for a naked person running around, yeah. Uh, no, look look for a look for a a slag a, a slag crater in the middle of a parking lot, and everything right. around it burnt to a crisp. Yeah, <laughs> if it happens at a Burning Man uh, get together or anywhere on the Las Vegas Strip, a naked person might not actually be noticeable. Yeah, or noteworthy. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, of course, that depends. Yeah, no, of course, uh, since, since all stories are true, there's also people who uh, can go back in time by wishing really hard. That's a more efficient version of it, okay? And there's also the people who, who body hop, you know, like a certain Sam. <laughs> One way of doing time travel that would be very efficient, but it depends on the nature of time, you know, and that is, is that if it was possible for you to swap your mass with somebody at an earlier or later time, and then in other words, they replace you, and therefore, you know, all the equations balance out. As long as 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 time in the past and time in the future doesn't have a different value, you know, uh, then that could be done very quietly and very efficiently. But it would have the side effect that you'd have somebody now in your time, okay, that was out of their place and all of a sudden you've got you know uh, a neanderthal or you've got somebody from the 1700s who's just you know uh, doesn't know what's going on and they're making a fuss and you go there and you find this person and they're like well this person's a time traveler well no they're not the time traveler they're the victim of the time travel the real one just went went back to their place and at some point, you figure they'll probably come back and do the swap again. So as long as you keep your hands on this guy or this girl, then when the swap happens again, you're in a good position to grab this person when they come back. Well, does it have to be a person? Or could it be equivalent in mass and in dirt? If it's a mass and dirt, you better hope it's someplace noticeable, okay? You know, it could be, you know, or if you want to have more fun, it could be a T-Rex, or it could be, you know, you know, whatever. It could be a dodo, you know. I mean, how about that? But or it could be a chunk of building. Sure. I mean, just depends on what you do. Of course, if I ended up replacing a chunk of building, that might be really bad. Yeah. Actually, this sounds like a really great Bureau 13 adventure where the adventure starts out where there's some creature that you guys capture. You can realize that. Oh man, this is this is some kind of like Neanderthal or something. Like, you know, they thought it was some kind of crazy like monster. Or, or some kind of wild man. 
and it turns out that you know one of the anthropologists on the team is just like oh my god it's a neanderthal what the heck and then you know through investigation like how could this be and you know that and the adventure because they wouldn't know it's about time travel they would just know that that that's a neanderthal appeared up in time you know appeared in times square and you know that's where the the adventure would begin and doing like research and like and then the, that maybe that's where your party finds out that there is this uh, as rich talked about this time core and they're like oh yeah we didn't want to bring you in but we have to now and uh you know and then you have to hang on to this guy so that the the guy who went back in time when he comes back yeah. he comes back to where you are and then you have to figure out what were you doing back there like why why did you do this and, and what what did you do and do we have to undo something that you did well, if a Neanderthal ends up in in Times Square, there's a bit, some bit of displacement going on there. Okay, yeah, I know. All right, of course, John. But, but no, 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 no. That, that's that's fine because that could be it. Could be based on where things were back then. I am because yeah, you know yeah, cotton, yeah. Cotton, cotton, continents move and things like I that. Am. Also, let's I think just, if you hey, got John, let's if, just if, let's just keep <clears> it simple. It's it's a Neanderthal they found in Paris. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, even 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 if he is in Times Square, you know, you never know. We we really don't know the movement of everybody at that time period. For all we know, there was Homo erectus in the Americas. But anyway, one thing I would do is one is is go and contact uh, Shay Talbot and say, ah, we need to talk to the, to some other Neanderthal because we can't understand what he's saying. Old men, <laughs> boom, yes, the old men. <laughs> yep, that could happen. Yeah, maybe I'll talk to him and find out where he where he's coming from. He be he came from France. We are from France, but then, and 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 you might find out that he's actually a Neanderthal shaman, and the guy that went back in time was going after something, some kind of component or something, maybe a crazy potion he was making um, to summon up something. Oh, I was talking to a demon. That could be. Yeah, maybe. give me give me something very special, and then all of a sudden I'm here. Right, and it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, a lot of times, time travelers aren't trying to change the timeline. They're just they're just after experiencing or so, they they want something that was back when you know. And as long as it isn't like you know, a linchpin event or item, you know, nobody will ever notice that it's it being gone. He's picked a shaman who knows he's going to die in two in a year. Just from watching the time, watching the past, and he said, yeah, "He's going to die in about six months. I'll snatch him, and I'll have six months to operate before he dies, and I can swap him back. No one will notice." <laughs> so, so again, it, you know, if you're a GM and you're doing this, you're going to have to basically ask some questions about how does time work? You know how you know it, how flexible is time? Does you know is it like you know the the butterfly flapping its wings and and all kinds of things happen, or is there in fact you know a kind of a, a, a I don't want to use the word elasticity, uh, but a, a kind of resilience of time that big events, what we call it, consider like linchpin type events, they will happen no matter what. Okay, which mean, but that let let you still have plenty of agency, plenty of freedom of choice about some smaller stuff. There's certain event I and there's a couple terms I've heard and I think one of them is the actual term. Like in the DC the old Mayfair DC role playing game, they call those type of events nexus events. I think the actual term is a Heisenberg event mm-hmm. where like um Lincoln getting shot in the Ford Theater by John Wilkes Booth. That has to happen. That cannot be altered or the moon landing neil armstrong said that has to happen there are just certain events in time that will not change no matter what because if you change them the ramifications can be horrific right and you'd be saying the time was elastic in that case where these things do have to happen while other things don't if it can be stopped easily then time is very fragile and, you know, the future is, you know, changeable as, like, you know, at, at any time. There's actually a, 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 an actual scientific theory, and I can't remember its name, but it basically what it says that you can, if, you, if time travel exists, you can go back in time, but you can't do anything that will, A, invalidate your existence, invalidate your knowledge, and invalidate you creating a time machine. Working with those parameters, you can make a heck of a lot of changes. 
at that They've point. They've also said the best way to go through time, if you're going to go back in the past, I mean, obviously, this would either take tech or powers, invisible, mm-hmm. intangible, flying. You don't mm-hmm. touch nothing. You totally observe. You are not seen. They, that, they, that, the convention, that's the best way to go through time travel. Right. And the second best way of doing it is to transfer your mind so you're not actually, you know, you're inhabiting somebody else's body. Yeah. And it, it could be where you're literally, you're inhabiting them, but you have no control, in which case it's kind of like the same thing except without the flying. Yeah, you're riding. You're a ride. Yeah, you're right. Or, you know, or the fact that you do come back and you inhabit somebody's body. Now you have an identity. Now you have a place in, in history. You know, you, you're, you're, as long as you don't act too far out of character, you should be able to pull off the masquerade with no trouble and do whatever it is that you're there to do. As long, you know, because until you actually take actions that are atypical to the person that you are uh, inside of, you haven't altered time in any way. The, the happening means you can access their their language center and speak the local lingo, you know, uh, accurately. Because otherwise, that will make you stand out if you start speaking, you know, English amongst an Iroquois bunch of Iroquois. Yeah, <laughs> and it's six and it's fifteen oh two. Sure. Okay. So. But if you do uh, go with the idea that there are chronons, there actually are time particles, and you can create devices, you know, that can use these things to to allow you to go forward or backward in time, then you have to ask yourself some more questions. You have to say, okay, there are chronons, but do you have to amass negative chronons to go backward and positive chronons to go forward? Do chronons increase over time as duration, you know, as like from the beginning of the universe, okay, till now, have, have chronons increased? So that, you know, does that make the, you know, does that, does that change anything, okay? Or are we embedded in time and have time inertia that requires chronons to literally move us to another place in the continuum, you know, where, where again we will be like a fly in ointment, just moving along through time, you know. So these kinds of questions, if you know, when you're designing your adventure, is going to make a big difference as to the options that your players have. So I do hope that you ask them. Yeah, and also is the question about like as Bruce pointed out with the, with the flexible timeline, uh, but then you have to worry about you know going to the future. Is the future predefined or is it, as we said, in flux? You know, I mean, if you make it predefined, then it is kind of a railroad at that point. You know, this is going to happen. Nothing you're going to do is make it is going to make it not happen. Or you can say, okay, future it hasn't happened yet, and we're no longer we're not connected to that future anymore. So we can make changes, and hopefully that event won't happen at this point. So you can have both. You you can have the past is the past, and you really can't do a whole lot to screw it up. I mean, you know, if you can screw it up, that means you found you found uh, you found a linchpin that you can well pull and change. Yeah, if it is if it is defined, then what you want to do is you want to narrate that to your players, okay? Because if they have no choices, they shouldn't be stuck in the situation where they're moving along and don't get any choices, okay? So just sit there and say, okay, this is what happens, you know. Have it you know, like a dream sequence, you know, where. Uh, you know, they see it, you know, and then bring them back to the place where they can take action again and then start the action up again. So, you know, that's that's always a bad idea to 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 do something where they lose the ability to make choices. So it's better to narrate those kinds of events. Time will try to prevent you from changing time, changing the major events. So, yeah, if you're trying to stop, you know, John Wilkes Booth or any of the Booth or any of his conspirators from doing their things, Things will happen, you know. Your carriage will break. Will break a wheel, break an axle, and you'll get stuck in the road. Your jam, uh, or you know, there will be a trap. You know, like a horse will tip a carriage, or just time will do something to make sure that event comes to yeah. pass. If it's elastic, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? What's the reason for that? And and my answer to that would be because it touches so many things that it it's hard to. It's hard to bend or change that because it has so many roots and so many hooks in in other in other points in time. Right. That yeah. That's just, right. That's what I said earlier, Blix. Was that if you were to do something like change 
Lincoln getting shot, the ramifications of that one event, Lincoln dying at that point by that method, the permutations on the future would be catastrophically vast. Well, I'm just what the point I'm trying to make is that that each person kind of has a timeline attached to them in a way. If you oh, think yeah. about it, right? And it's like, yeah. how many lines do these events touch? If it's an event like you you were riding your bike down an alley and you and you fell off of it and skinned your elbow and had to go to the hospital, right? Well, there's a link between you and that doctor and your parents. And maybe one of your friends or two of your friends, right? Well, there's only like four or five threads that that, that really do anything that are that are of, of any significance whatsoever. The, the Lincoln, the threads are unbelievable. Yeah, millions of threads, you know. Yes, and and that's mm-hmm. why that one's immobile because there's just too many threads anchoring that point to so many other lives and events that actually make a difference. Well, it would be like yeah. then you could sit there and say time a timeline's like a spider web. Yeah. Depending on what strand you pluck, how many more strands down as you radiate out from that center of that web are going to vibrate because you pluck that one string. Right, and, and you might even it might even be one of these things where you go back in time and you you know you kill John Wilkes Booth, right? And and and, the, and for, for whatever reason, somebody else kills Lincoln. Like at, right. at the same time, in the same way, it's someone else. You know, yeah. you kill Hitler, and Himmler actually becomes. The Hitler of or that world, or whatever, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, the earth is is that farther. You also going to make a point that the farther you go back in time, the more likely you can actually erase those earlier pivot points because, well, they don't matter to the earlier point in time. So, the farther back you go, the more havoc you can you can you, you can cause i mean if you go far enough back in time and you pour chlorine bleach into a certain pool you know where life is forming you just killed it well yeah but, Tom, but, but you gotta you, you gotta wonder maybe that that's one way to look at it but another way to look at it is the further you go back maybe the harder it is to change it because the the the, the lines that it makes into the future are more and more and more and more you know like if you change yeah. something an hour ago, it may not be that big a deal because it hasn't had the the chance to establish many lines. Right. Yeah. I think I think the answer the answer to this is is that if it's your own timeline, yeah, you can't go back because you have to a like I said with this, uh, I think it's the Noviosky principle or something like that, where basically you can't invalidate your existence, you can't invalidate the fact you know, which which you know, and you can't invalidate uh, your time machine. If you're not from this timeline, none of those apply. Right. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.